you have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Well, hello, hello, my friend, and welcome back for part two of my chat with Emily Gaudreau on the Dramatic Travels podcast, episode number 17. In this part two, Emily and I get into the particulars of her podcast, How to Raise a Maverick, and Emily is also going to share some of her tried and true travel tips from the Chief Maverick herself. Before we dive in, we're going to hear a very brief word from our nonprofit partner, Flight, and then it's going to be part two of my chat with Emily Gaudreau. Enjoy. Flight is a nonprofit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com slash flight. There you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address again is DramaticTravels.com slash flight light. You never know, talking from person to person, their, their own personal perspectives, the things that they you know, just find important or interesting or inspiring. And, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this podcast, Dramatic Travels. But now, Emily, it's time to shift and let's talk about your podcast. Ooh. Your podcast is called How to Raise a Maverick. I love that title. If we talked about nothing else to do with your podcast, just the name alone just totally yeah. rocks. The main premise of the show is was we help parents raise kids with work ethic, grit, and empathy. And we've just recently added on curiosity. And that's so they can navigate this cyber world that's going on right now and other things with just a solid moral core. So they have the ability to go, you know what? This doesn't sound right. And I'm going to quit my job right here, right now, because I'm not going to be a part of this. And I have the work ethic and the grit to sustain that kind of a hit, or I'm not going to go along with something socially. And I have the grit to handle being socially rejected by putting your hand up and saying, this isn't right. I'm not participating. So, um, I actually talk a lot about sex abuse prevention, um, talking to kids about pornography and a bunch of other stuff that's going on. Um, yeah. And I actually have an online course coming up called Young, Wild, and Safe. And it's a free range parent's guide to body safety. Young, Wild, and Safe. Tell us about that. Tell us how you developing an online course. That's not an easy task. And obviously you want to provide a lot of value for anyone who's going to purchase that course. Tell us how you, you developed it. So the I guess the nuts and bolts of it is it's videos that come in like it's about three weeks. And at the beginning of the week, you get a handful of videos that you can watch on your own time. But the premise of it is that we want to educate our kids and you need to educate them about the right things. A lot of people are stranger danger people. And I completely disagree with that. It's it's not the boogeyman that is going to potentially harm your kids. And we need to break that cycle of us isolating our kids for fear of strangers. So many times we're in the park and it's like, you don't, oh, don't, don't talk to that person over there. Um, yeah, your kids actually need to talk to strangers. 
they're going to have to learn how to talk to strangers. <laughs> if they don't, they're going to have serious issues growing up. It's just that's part of life. And it's actually distracting from the fact that 95% of the sex abuse cases happen with your friends, a family, and somebody you know. Potentially, you have paid to take care of your kid. So we're focusing completely on the wrong things. We need our kids out in the streets playing and having fun and getting into let them get into trouble. I let my daughter, she has her own pocket knife. She's five. Um, she lights fires. She's very, she gets it. She has respons- real responsibilities and I trust her um, in that regard. And she's not my first rodeo. We've got other kids. So, <laughs> so when you're sitting down having a conversation with someone who is absolutely <clears throat> on the other side of you know, polar opposite views to yours, you know, what, how do you communicate with them? How do you relay your message to them and have a, a meaningful exchange of ideas? Because it seems like that's a topic that could get hot really quickly. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, it does. There's, you know, I usually lean back on facts. I've made friends with some key people um, that Mike Males is one of the top researchers in youth studies so and youth stats. So he works with the FBI and various things to compile statistics about youth. And there's an amazing amount of media fear-mongering that's going on. The kids that are coming, that are up and coming, this is literally one of the best generations we've ever had. This is the safest time in history since the 1960s. So, and it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I, the reason I dove into this is because I am scared to death to let my daughter go out and play. And I consider myself a free range parent, but there's a really strong vein in me that says, oh my gosh, somebody's going to kidnap her and sell her on the internet. And it's just, it really isn't the truth. And I am, uh, I have a lot of projects about the, to prevent human trafficking. So I have all the, I know all of, of that kind of stuff, but unless your child is a runaway or they're in the foster system, there's, they're not going, it's just, it's not the risk that people think it is. I totally didn't answer your question either. Did I, <laughs> I guess I lean on statistics. Well, so you, you're leaning on the statistics and, but at the same time, facts and statistics don't not that it's a comp- competition, but facts and statistics don't win arguments, especially when the emotions go get high. How do you deal with that, or have you have you even encountered that? Oh yeah, I I actually when I first when I first started How to Raise a Maverick, it was called the Cyber Parent Project, and it was to help educate parents on how to keep their kids safe online. And I didn't realize how far in one direction my views were. I had a lot, a lot of people say, there's absolutely no way my 14-year-old son would ever look up anything on the internet that has to do with sex. And my reply is usually, wow, you have a completely asexual child? (laughs) That's, do you realize that's like winning the lottery? (laughs) They're not sexual at all. Wow. Cool. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I don't, you know, I conversation kind of ends there. It's just, okay, where do we go from here? Yeah. Total denial, complete and total denial that kids are sexual beings. And from day one, they are sexual beings. And if you 
think otherwise. I don't know if you are asexual yourself or if you're just, like you said, sticking your head so far in the sand that it's going to be extremely detrimental to your kids. Wow. That's awesome stuff, Emily. And, uh, Really appreciate the uh, all the hard work and the dedication, and obviously your passion is is very very clear. Um, before we move on, where can we learn more about this, and where can we get be a part of this online course? Um, well, I don't know when this is going live, but the course is not quite yet going live, but you can sign up for it. We've got about 30 more days before it starts, but it will be on howtoraisemaverick.com. And that's where I have my podcast is hosted and I have a lot of other resources there and where you can reach out to me and ask questions. I usually answer those questions on the podcast as well. So it helps everybody else, obviously, anonymously because most parents have the same questions, All right, but well, don't think that they do. <laughs> well, definitely, definitely my friends out there in podcast land, check out Emily at how to raise a maverick.com. Listen to the podcast and get on that list to be part of her online course. It's a whole lot of great stuff going on over there and certainly appreciate you, Emily. Emily, can you sum up in just a couple sentences why travel is important to you and why it's important for kids to travel? Oh gosh. I mean, there's, there's, my brain is like, it's like a herd of horses coming forward. Um, there's so much, I mean, just like we were talking about before the ability to navigate the world and to have a fear removed and just know that you can go out and see the world is just such an amazing, amazing gift to not feel limited in that. And exposing kids to other kids that see things differently. I I mean, if, I know this sounds like a silly analogy, but even how they draw is completely different from how kids in America draw. And the way they see the world is so different. And there could be a huge language barrier and the kids just bond and connect and play in the dirt and have so much fun. The food, there's so much that can be learned. I, I mean, I'm, I'm really not a fan of education within four walls. At any time you can take your kid out traveling, you should without a doubt. Relating that back to, to home life, because there maybe there, there are those few families who are on the road all the time, the nomads and there, and there's, they're a growing breed here in 2018. Cause that digital nomad life is becoming more and more attainable, but most of us are at home most of the time. And can you just tell us about something you do regularly while you're at home to keep travel top of mind? Mm, that's a great question. Well, we do. I mean, uh, we, we have a, we have our camper. We were, we were actually talking about getting a second home and I was like, you know, my, my husband's not, a, he's not really into rough traveling. I don't care as long as like we, if we have a hotel and the door locks and bugs are not in my bed, I could care less. I'm not going to hang out in the hotel room. My husband on the other, other hand really needs like the robe and special soaps and, and, you know, a little chocolate on his bed before he goes to bed. Fancy. <laughs> Fancy. Yeah. So we ended up buying a pretty sweet uh, camper trailer thing. It's not a fifth wheel, fifth wheel, but 
it really is our ticket to go anywhere, at least in the United States and or in America's. So we do that as often as possible. And we just say yes. We have a friend that has a mine in Reno, Nevada, and we're doing that in a couple of days. We go in mine with him. Uh, it's like a, uh, it's, gosh, it's like smoky quartz and some, it's got some amethyst and that kind of stuff. So we're going to go in mine. So there's stuff in the United States that we, we try and tap into. And uh, we're a big believer in micro retirement. I love and that. if there's I love a <laughs> if there's a shift, if there's a space between two jobs, you you give yourself like a good seven months because after seven months of traveling, you kind of want to work. You're ready to be productive and not be. You're just ready to produce something if you're not producing while you're on the road, and you're you welcome work back, and you're like. You're not so have like heaving towards what I think is the myth of retirement. So anytime you can take a break, take it. I mean, with with what is it? Airbnb, you can rent your house out and I mean heck, get a camper like we did and just take off whatever level you want to and go retire for a short period of time and then come back and then go retire again and then come back. <laughs> That's what I like. Well, just using Airbnb as as just one example of the the society we live in now, just the this techno this technology culture we're living at in 2018 that enables people to connect across many miles. It's connecting you and me today from Sacramento to Colorado, but then also thinking about it a little more broadly, the way you describe those mini retirements, you know that you can use technology to really keep the the fundamentals of your life more or less intact while still being able to go out and really dig into some really high quality, intense travel for, for several months at a time, you know, being able to, like you said, rent your house to, to keep that income stream coming in. So you don't have to, to go broke or break the bank just to, to go travel. And I really encourage people to, to start thinking outside the box and thinking beyond the, my two weeks a year. And we're going to go on, you know, spend a week at grandma's and then a week at Disney and that's it. And we're going to do that for the next 35 years every summer. There's, there's so mm-hmm. much more out there than that. And I don't, I don't mean to, to bash on Disney. I've done a, I've done my share of Disney vacations myself, but there's, there's, there's just plenty more out there. And every single day that goes by here in this, this new world, this new wonderful world we live in, there's more opportunities to, to spend more time traveling, to really get out there without having to cause a major disruption in, in your life. So thanks for, thanks for shedding a whole lot of light there. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I think is really important for people to understand is it's, you know, it's hard when you don't know what to expect. And I get that. And a lot of people are like, I need it like this. And um, my husband is very much that way. And I am on the other side only because I have done so much traveling where the less, the less you have completely structured, the more magic can happen. Well, let's talk about that for a second, that dynamic between your husband and yourself. If you, if you don't mind diving yeah. into that a little bit, that's, that's really interesting. And that's, again, there's another potential obstacle that someone could be out there listening right now, driving in their car saying, that's, that's me and my husband, or that's me and my wife. And we can't travel together because we just can't agree on anything. How do you, how do you approach that? What's your advice? Well, I did have to give up. He's not, he's never going to sleep in a tent. 
That's the only way that I had ever been camping before. So we had our, our compromise with the camper and I, I, I was, he came home and he had been laid off from his job, which we were expecting. And he came in, I was like, boom, let's go. We literally went down to the camper store and shop for campers you know, and our Jeep was going to pull it. And the guy was like, well, nothing, you know, we don't have anything that's light enough. So we went and got a truck and all of this, I'm going to be real honest because we were in between jobs. We did it before they found out that we had a job. So we had our camper for like $150 a month financed. I mean, it's all, all everything's paid off now, but we just went and like, okay, how are we going to do this? New truck, new camper. And we just packed everything up and his brother rented our house out and took care of our dog and we took off. And at first he was very, he was like running and gunning and he wanted, you know, stop in one place. We've got to go here, here, here and moving every day. And I kind of let him do that a little bit without putting too much of a fight up. And then he slowly realized like it stinks to move every single day. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work it doesn't flow. It's not fun to spend your whole time driving. And, you know, with a camper, you've got like the black tank and all that kind of stuff to deal with. And then after a while, he slowed down. And if you have somebody that's an inexperienced traveler, like my husband was, you just have to let them take it at their speed, encourage them, but just, you know, don't throw them into Africa or India. You know, I took I took my husband to New Zealand and then we went to Fiji where we went around the United States first. Then we went to New Zealand, which is kind of, you know, getting your like little travel training shoes on <laughs> training pants. I love that. I love that. Um, Cause it's easy and it's safe and everybody speaks English and you know, the food and it's, you know, it's easy to manage. And then we went to Fiji, which was, you know, where a place that he wanted to go. So now he's, he's getting a little bit more adventurous. So, um, I think just take it easy with people and whatever they're willing to do, just push it a little bit, but keep it within their comfort zone. And it, a lot of, if you have somebody who's resistant to travel because they don't want to give up the situation at home, you know, I, I, I guess it, it goes case by case. I'm really resistant now because I have a huge garden and I have all my plants. I'm a total biophilia. I love, love, love my plants and nature. So if I take off for a month, it's all gone. Well, can your husband's brother take care of plants? I gosh, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd trust my plants with him. <laughs> But you're right. There is, there's told somebody could come in and stay here. I can automate it. There's tons of things that, that like you could do. That's the thing. Figure out what it is. What is it that's keeping somebody where it is? Is it a sports team? Is it their friends? You know, whatever it is and just do some micro fixes on it. Right. And yeah, identifying what those obstacles are and then being as honest as you possibly can with yourself about just how real those obstacles actually are. Cause there's a lot of barriers we put up in our minds that don't really exist or they don't exist in the way that we think that they do. They're, they're small obstacles. They're not these giant unscalable walls and things like your garden. You know, this, I know it's a small example, but you know it's very real to you and you, you want your garden to 
to live beyond, you know, your live through your, your trip. So you figure out, okay, what do I have to do to make sure my garden lives while I'm on my trip? And I love that automation. I want to know, I've never heard about that. I want you to, to send me a link about that. I want to see an automated yeah. garden in action. I love that. <laughs> I love that concept. It's so cool. Well, the other thing, Aaron, is while I was traveling, I met a gal who was going to volunteer at a uh, an orphanage in Cambodia with her three. She was with her three year old daughter. It was just a single mom and her daughter, and they were volunteering at an orphanage. And then when I was in Africa, there was a family of four and two kids under the age of seven um, living living and traveling in Kenya. So it's that actually at the time shocked me, but the more it's how it, you just have to do a little bit of research and you realize that it, it is completely doable and it's not as scary and having kids with you is there's just a huge benefit. You get treated totally differently. Everybody loves you when you've got kids with you. (laughs) It opens all these doors. Well, that's cool to know. And that's, that's absolutely a, a perk of traveling with kids to add to the very long list of, of perks of traveling with kids. But that's a, that's a perk for the parents as much as it is for the kids themselves, just knowing that in most places and from most people, you're going to get a little bit of a break because you have, because you have kids and people, uh, people, especially people like yourself and people like me, I look at traveling families and I say, good for you. You know, and I, and that's amazing when I'm traveling, whether it's for work or with my family and I see other families out there doing it. And I just, you know, I just, it gives me a great warm feeling inside and it, and it validates everything I'm doing with this podcast and talking to people like you. And I think to a, a similar degree, it validates the work you're doing, you know, that there are people out there that are receiving this message and it's doing great things in a lot of lives. You know, Aaron, I think another really useful thing going back to asking questions of the kids is involving them in the planning the trip. So it's not just them being drug along on their parents' trip, actually engage with them and what they want to do and what they want to see, you know, out maybe if you've gone to Disneyland before, or maybe, maybe Disneyland is a trip. Okay. Well then have them help you plan the nitty gritty of it and what they want to see and what they want to do and uh, kind of map it out and have a section where they're responsible for taking you through that, that part of it. When I was in high school, there was a, a group, it was called senior seminar and it was kind of an experimental education, education thing. You had to write essays to be in it and whatever. And they, the teachers would just, all the chairs and desks were taken out of the room and we kind of sit in a circle and the teachers would just kind of sit on the sidelines. Not, I mean, they, they weren't involved hardly at all unless we asked them to be. And we planned out what we wanted to do. So we ran marathons, we did 300 mile bike rides, you know, we went rafting in the Green River, we had politicians and uh, philosophers come in and speak to us. You know, we did tide pool studies in Mexico and we planned our food and we planned our travel and how we were going to sleep with the budget we had available. And I think that was one of the more empowering things for me that made me realize that, wow, I can do this. I can ride it. I can do a 300 mile bike ride and this is how you do it. And, you know, maybe tortillas and peanut butter isn't a great plan for seven days (laughs) kind of a thing. (laughs) All right, Emily, we are winding down here on time before we, before we say goodbye, 
I'd like to hear from you, Emily. What is a travel dream of yours that has not come true yet? Oh, I really want to go. It's kind of a tough call between Japan or Iceland. Those are the two. I'd love to go in kind of the rural areas of Japan. I do love Hello Kitty, though. So, you know, maybe some of that like Tokyo stuff. And I, I just love Japanese food and culture. And I love all of the weirdness that is wrapped up in that. And then on the other hand, Iceland, I would just be over the moon to rent some kind of like RV and take my camera and just explore Iceland. The landscape, really. That's I guess there's I don't know about the culture so much. I don't know much that about that world, but it's supposed to have great food, a lot of pickled, fishy kind of things, which is totally my jam. Well, that's one thing too about when you don't know much about a culture of a place, or you just assume for whatever reason that they're the culture's not that interesting. And then you find when you actually go there, you find that it's totally the opposite. There's tons of great culture and things you've never heard of or been exposed to. And that that's exciting too going to a place like Iceland if you really don't know that much about it. I remember I went to to Greece. I was 20 years old. I went with a friend who had family over there. I knew nothing about about Greece outside of history books and left, you know, I was there for a whole summer and left with this huge appreciation like, "Oh my gosh, Greece. How, why have we not been going to Greece? Greece is the coolest place ever." But I I love I love that take on it. So whether it's Japan, whether it's Iceland, let us know when you get there and we'll follow up. I want to hear all about it. So I will send photos. Please do that. Emily, before like, we, please don't. No, please do. Please do. I love it. I want to hear all about it. I want to follow, follow your journey, Emily. And I think uh, there's probably plenty of folks out there in podcast land that would like to follow your journey as well. So one last time before we say goodbye, how can we reach Emily Goodrow? You are able to find me at, if you just want to hit the website, how to raise a maverick.com. How to Raise a Maverick podcast is on every everywhere you find podcasts. And if you have a message specifically for me, just Emily at how to raise a maverick.com. And I will I will probably answer it. <laughs> I will I will go out on a limb and say that you will absolutely one hundred percent answer it. There you go. All right, Emily. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Dramatic Travels and looking forward to uh, hearing great things out of you in the future. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on the show. And this is such a, you have a really great podcast. Thanks for doing this. Yes, indeed, my friend. That is a wrap on episode number 17 of the Dramatic Travels podcast. Of course, head over to DramaticTravels.com slash 017 for all the show notes for this episode. Links, timestamps, resources, all of it. It's all going to be right there at DramaticTravels.com slash 017. I'm going to use these last couple seconds of this episode to ask for a very quick favor. If you haven't already, please leave the Dramatic Travels podcast a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I am going to be giving a special shout out on the podcast next week to the very first person who leaves a rating and review and sends me a screenshot of that rating and review. Go ahead, review the podcast and take a screenshot, send it to Aaron at DramaticTravels.com. Very first person to do that is going to get shouted out next week on episode 18 of Dramatic Travels. All right, my friend, that's going to do it. And of course, don't forget, Your emotional memories are your most powerful memories, so put some emotion in your motion. See you next week.